Get your Bibles and open to Ephesians chapter 5. As we continue our study in this great epistle, we're going to focus this morning on verses 8 through 14. Verses 8 through 14, but we're going to take a running start, starting with verse 1 this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verse, start with verse 1. What do we usually say before we read to you the Word of God? This is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. We say that to remind ourselves, to affirm our faith, to say out loud what we believe in our hearts. But we say it also for those who are visiting among us to know this is not just some book, some history lesson, some novel, some fiction. This is the very word of God. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetousness, that is, who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper. And arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word this morning. We thank you for speaking to us through it. We pray now that by the power of your Spirit, you will help me to speak the truth of your gospel, the truth of this passage. Lord, be with your people as they hear me preach, and we hear your words that that we will be eager to, to listen, eager to receive it, eager to obey it. We love you this morning. We pray even now, if there are those who have yet to put their hope and trust in you, that they would wake up this morning, arise from the dead, and you will shine on them. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Well, here Paul, in this passage, extends and expands on the imperatives that he gave us in verses 3 to 7 last week that Jeff covered for us. There were three imperatives that, that, that the believers were saying, that, that Paul was telling believers not to be involved in. Three main issues, which were sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. And, he, and we ask, well, why? Why shouldn't believers be involved in this, Paul? And Paul tells them, look, these are not proper for saints. This is not what saints, not what believers should be involved in. He also reminded them, you won't receive an inheritance. If this is your lifestyle and your, your choice of life and the way you live out, you will not receive your inheritance. And also he, was said, he said that they would also receive, those who act in this way, receive the wrath of God. And so in that section, then he wraps up that little section in verse 7 saying this, Therefore, do not become partners with them. Those who are in the world who are living these kind of debased lifestyles, don't partner with them. Don't be connected to them. Don't join and go into the debauchery with them. And he starts verse 8, our verse today where we start, with the word for. For. And then what Paul does is he grounds his argument with a new reason to turn away from these immoral activities. So today, we're going to see that Paul, you see this in your notes, Paul encourages believers, he encourages us, he encourages them, the Ephesian believers, to live out their identity in Christ and reject their past dark lives. And we'll see that spelled out for us in five parts. First, our desperate condition Second, our glorious transformation. Third, our productive orientation. Fourth, our mission of illumination. And finally, our gospel resurrection. So let's get started. Number one, our desperate condition. Verse 8, Paul says, For at one time you were darkness. You were darkness. This was our desperate condition before we were regenerated by the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, you were darkness. Notice he doesn't say we walked in darkness, which is true. He doesn't say we lived in darkness, which is true. He says we were darkness. This is an ontological argument. It's an argument of being. What was your nature before coming to Christ? Darkness. We've heard Paul argue like that before, haven't we? Uh, earlier, he says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Sons of disobedience. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, he says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. By nature, 
It was what we did. It's where we lived. It's how we acted. It's how we thought. It's how we spoke. We were darkness. Listen to Paul as he describes our desperate condition in Romans 3, 10 through 18. He says this, As it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their desperate, uh, their their feet are, are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Can you see why I call my point our desperate condition? Our desperate condition. I was at Panera. Thank you. I like that. They're going to put a brass plaque for me at my little booth. And there's a gathering there of, of folks um, that meet sometimes, and I come over and, and uh, try to think of some way to, to, to get the gospel in with this group. And I was talking about my own life and, and, and how bad off it was and, and, and reflecting on, on my depravity and how we're all depraved, right? We're, and, and this lady, very nice, prim, older uh, lady turned to me and she's like, well, you know, I'm, I, they, they, they had just left Mass. Says, uh, I'm not depraved, right? I'm, that's, you know, that's, not, that's not me, right? I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And that's what a lot of us think, isn't it? We're good people. We're good people. The beginning of salvation has got to start right here, realizing that we were darkness. We were darkness. We were darkness. We can't really praise God, can we, unless we understand the depth of our depravity, how desperate our condition was, and we understand that, we can then say, look at what God has done. All of God, none of me. I was darkness. I was darkness. If your heart this morning is resisting these words, ask God to help you to understand the gospel. Even saints who are saved, which we're going we're gonna to turn the page here in just a minute. Because yes, we're Christians. Yes, we are. But stop and remember, I was darkness. I was darkness. It was my nature. It was my neighborhood. It's where I lived. He turns the page then as he finishes this section. And we could really talk about this verse and say it was the worst of news. It was the best of news. It was the worst of news. It was the best of news. I heard R.C. Sproul one time say, reflecting upon this concept, this reality, he said, if I ask a man to come up here and said, on this side, he, he asked a gentleman from the congregation to come up and say, stand over here and said, you're going to represent Hitler 
Okay, you stand up here in the front. You're Hitler. Then you ask another brother to come up and stand on the other side of the church. And he said, you're Jesus. Here's Hitler. Here's Jesus. Then you ask another brother to come up and say, place yourself on the continuum between Hitler and Jesus. Closer to Hitler, closer to Jesus. Where should you stand? Where should you stand when you look at yourself positionally as a person? And the brother came up and stood, and you think about yourself. Where would I stand? Am I closest to Hitler? Am I closest to Jesus? And the brother came up and stood and said, and it was shoulder to shoulder with the person representing Hitler. Why? Because Jesus has never, ever, ever sinned. Jesus has never, ever, ever sinned. Hitler certainly has. In our positional place, we find ourselves in the position of Hitler, don't we? Closer to Hitler than we do to Jesus when we reflect on our own sin and our past darkness. Well, back to my point that I was just saying, I got ahead of myself. It was the worst of news. It was the best of news. Let's look at the rest of the verse. Our point, two is our glorious transformation. Listen, for at one time you were darkness. For at one time you were darkness. But now, you are light in the Lord. For one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is our glorious transformation. We were darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. Again, Paul continues this ontological argument where he shows that our nature has been changed. Our nature has been changed. Every other religion outside of biblical Christianity teaches that you must start doing something right to become right. Uh, there were religions of works or religions of ethics or religions of action. Christianity is a religion of being. It is a religion of being. I am changed. Old Kevin is gone. New Kevin is here. Old Kevin was darkness. New Kevin is light in the Lord. You and I were darkness. We were sons of disobedience. We were children of wrath, and now we are light in the Lord. What do we say to that? Amen, Amen. and praise God, don't we? Praise God. We were, uh, we're not just doing nice things. We're not just doing good things or right things. We've been changed. We've been transformed. C.S. Lewis says, I think it's in mere Christianity, Jesus didn't come to make good men better. He came to make dead men live. Being precedes doing. Okay, get a hold of this, okay? Being precedes doing. Essence precedes action. Essence precedes effort. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. John Piper says of this passage, you must understand this reality to live out the imperatives of this passage. If you don't understand it, you're going to do it in a legalistic, religiosity kind of way. Before I came into a biblical understanding of, of being saved by grace through faith, I thought I had to do all these things to be saved. How could I be saved? People would ask me, are you saved? And I would say, I hope. Even though I thought of myself as a Christian. But my problem was, 
I thought I had to check all these boxes to be saved. Did you read your Bible? Did you pray today? Did you take communion? Did you get baptized? Did you do this? Did you do that? Did you talk bad to your mother? Did you think something? Did you think impure thoughts about that girl over there? I, I, as a young man, I had all these sins that I knew I was a sinner. That was, I knew that, but I didn't know that I could be saved. Why? Because I didn't understand that, that God himself was going to change me. He had to change me, not me do all these things to get right, and then God would save me. You must understand this reality. To live out these imperatives, otherwise we do it in a legalistic religiosity, and that's John Piper's word, <laughs> religiosity kind of way. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, was it kind of dim in the beginning? There, were, there was like a little bit of light, right? And God walked over to that giant dimmer switch in the sky and he like, and he turned it up. He made more light appear. That's what some Christians or religions believe. That's how their Christianity works. There's a little light in there. This little light of mine, it's in my heart. It's already, it was already there and God turns it up. But that's not what Scripture says. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, out of nothing, boom, light. Some of you looked up. Someone woke up over there, right? <laughs> let light. And, and, and what does he say? He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 says it this way. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. For at one time you were darkness, but now, you are light in the Lord. Those are his indicatives. He's stating fact. That's the fact. Those are the indicatives of the passage. Now he turns to the imperative, our point three, our productive orientation. Paul then grounds them in who they are. Can I say it this way? Who they be. Who they be. And then he says this. Walk as children of light. You were darkness, now you're light. Walk as children of light. Live out your identity in Christ. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Remember, he's saying to us, he's saying to us, he's saying to them, remember who you are so you know how to walk. Remember who you are so you know how to walk. Live out your nature. You are a child of light, so walk as a child of light. Our walk is oriented by God. That's our orientation. It's our orientation. I told this at the loft retreat. There was a young, there's a story that goes this way. There's a young man that was walking 
one night. It was kind of dim. It was getting dark, and he walked down a street, and it was getting darker, and he didn't realize that there was some, some, some construction there, and he tripped and fell into this deep hole, bloodied and bruised. It took a long time for him to climb out of the hole and continue on his path. The next night, he remembered that there was this hole and so in the construction, so he brought a flashlight with him. He was flat, shining the light down this dim street going along, and as he neared the, the, the hole in the ground, a, a dog barked, and he looked, and he tripped, and he fell into the hole again. It took a long time, bloodied and bruised again, and he, he climbed up out of the hole and went on his way. The third night, he was going to be really smart, so he brought a ladder, okay, because he knew there was some construction. He walked down this dark street. As he got there close, a cat came out, runs out this way, and he hit the ladder on something, tripped and fell over the ladder, into the hole he went. Bloodied and bruised. It took him a long time to get up out of there. The next night he came, this time with a grappling hook. He falls. You know how the story goes. On the fifth night, he walked down another street. <laughs> our orientation, our pattern of living, our motivation... Our direction is all empowered by our knowledge that we are children of light. We walk a certain way. We walk a certain way because of our Father. As children of light, we produce fruit that is in kind with our Father. Verse 9 again, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Without light, there is no fruit. Think of it. Without light, there is no fruit. I can remember being in elementary school. And you have those little science projects, right? And some kid shows up with, with uh, you know, the, the show-off kid. He's got the volcano. Watch this. Psh, you know, pulls this stuff, the baking soda and stuff, and explodes. And, you know, I heard this comedian talk about one guy, shows, he shows up with dirt in a cup, you know. And he's like, that's my element. What is it? I know. Thank, thank you very much. That is from Brian. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you're listening. Good job. <laughs> so... The thing, though, for us to remember is you've also got that science project, right, where we take the little seed and we put it in the cup and then, and then you put it in the sunlight on the counter, right, in the kitchen, and then you put the other one under the sink, right, and which one grows? Without light, there is no fruit. Children of light bear fruit. Paul identifies the fruit here in three categories. What is good, what is right, what is true. Goodness, righteousness, truthfulness. Goodness, what is that? It's a spirit of generosity toward others. Benevolence, kindness, purity, a lack of guile, an orientation toward people. We all know, we met people who are like this. We just say, he's a, he's, he's a good man. He's a good man. He he loves people around him. He's caring. He's kind. Righteousness, an inclination toward God and His righteousness. It has the, the, the it has a mind. That, sorry, it has a mind 
which is like the right standing of the believer who has trusted God's work on the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. It's an inclination toward God and His righteousness. True or truthful, it's opposed to that which is false. It is the quality that comes from God from which springs the acts of truthfulness. We don't tolerate lies. We're truthful. And these are the fruit. This is some of the fruit that, that, is, that is, Paul tells us about here in this, in this section. Also, Paul shows in Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the Spirit, which most of us probably have memorized that. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. I can remember when Lynn and I were looking for a house here. When we first moved to California, and uh, we had, I grew up in Texas, and, and uh, we met in Oklahoma, and we came out here, and we were walking around different houses, looking at them. We went to the backyard of this house in, in Lakewood or Long Beach. I remember walking around and looking at this lovely backyard. I looked down, and there's an orange ball on the, on, the, on, the, on the ground there. And I reached down, I picked it up, and I, I was holding it, and, I was, and my mind kind of was going tilt. Like, you know, a dog must have left his ball. No, chill out. No, it's not. Wait a minute. It's not a ball. It smells. It feels funny. It's an, it's an orange. And I was just dumbfounded. You know, why did a kid drop an orange in the backyard? And I look up and guess what? There's an orange tree in the backyard. I'm dumbfounded. Wow. I guess I'm in California, right? I mean, this is, we don't have orange trees in our backyard in, in, in Texas where I grew up. From that orange tree, that orange tree produces fruit, oranges, oranges. And, and fruit is, is it's beautiful, right? It's, it's sweet, it's flavorful, it's nourishing, it's life-giving. And when we produce fruit in our lives like this, it is pleasing to our Lord. And so again, Paul says, the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And then he says this, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. If you want to make your father happy, we should discern what's pleasing to him, what is good, what is right, what is, what is true. Imagine you're standing at the kitchen sink and you're washing dishes and your five-year-old walks up behind you and says, can I eat this? Can I eat this? What are you going to ask? What is it? <laughs> right? If you turn around and see that it's a, an orange or a banana, you may say yes. If you turn around and see it's a roach, you say no, don't eat that. Don't eat that. Spit that out. <laughs> right? How do we know the difference how do we know what's pleasing to our Father? How do we know what fruit we should be after? We ask our Father. We discern the difference. As believers who are children of light, we want to please our Father, and so we want to produce fruit that is pleasing to Him. And so we go to the, His Word. We go to uh, Christian counsel uh, with brothers and sisters to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. This brings us to our fourth point, our mission of illumination. Our mission of illumination. Verse 11, he says then, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, 
but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. So Paul now turns to the negative imperative in our passage. Children of light are to have nothing to do or to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Paul told us earlier not to become partners with them in verse 7. And here he, 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 he drills down on this, on this point. Don't take part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Anyone who's involved in these unfruitful deeds, sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness, he's already said will incur the wrath of God. Galatians 5, uh, 16, 16 and verse 19, he talks about this. Let me back up. 16 to 25, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice in our passage that light bears fruit, but darkness does not bear fruit. The works of darkness, the works of the flesh, darkness is void of life. Darkness is unfruitful. Darkness is death. Don't partner with those who are dealing in death. Romans 6, 20, 21 says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. Paul is he's reminding these believers to, to think back and say, Look, what fruit were you getting from those things? That life that you used to live, what kind of, how, how fruitful was it from things which you are now ashamed? Things that you are now ashamed. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life when I've been drifting off to sleep. It's probably when I maybe have been struggling with some pride of thinking about how good a guy I am, how nice I am how hard a worker I am, how cute I am, how funny I am, all these things, right? And, and, and as you're drifting off to sleep, God brings to mind something you said when you were 13, right? And I can remember, I can remember having a conversation with a young lady at my church, and it, and, and it, was, it was nothing sexual, but it was just mean. I was just being a jerk, a punk. I was not being kind, and I remember this this, this conversation coming to my mind from a, from a, you know, 40 years ago and feeling myself almost blushing lying there in my bed thinking of that. Unfruitful, those unfruitful words, things of which you're now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. Brothers and sisters, remember, sin always kills. Sin always kills. 
It kills relationships. It kills communities. It kills families. Sin always ends in death. So we don't go back there, right? We don't go back there. We don't partner with them. We flee. We flee those kinds of activities. But not only flee them, the apostle says we should expose them. We should expose them. Now, is the apostle trying to say we should start writing all these articles about what all the evil people are doing? I don't think that's what he's talking about. The word here used, expose, it's used to expose only that which is evil or wicked. It conveys the sense of, of, of conviction or rebuke. Here's how Jesus speaks of it in John 3, 19-21. He says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Notice, people don't want to come into the light. Why? Because their works will be exposed. This is the word that Paul uses. We should expose them by our living. We're going to expose those who are in the darkness. We'll expose their way of living, their, their, their way of thinking, their way of acting, their way of speaking. Verse 11 again, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's even shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Which brings us to our fifth point, our gospel is resurrection. Our gospel, resurrection. Verse 14, for anything that becomes light, anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And Christ will shine on you. Verse 14 again. For anything that becomes visible is light. That's a challenging, it's challenging to understand this passage. And I, I, I must admit, I, I wrestled a lot over this, looked at many commentaries. Here's what I think Paul is trying to get at here. There seems to be a connection to verse 8, I believe, where it says, For at one time you were darkness, now you are light in the Lord. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. And he's saying here, anything that becomes visible is light. And so there seems to be a transition, there seems to be a connection to this idea that, uh, of, of someone being transformed, like we were transformed from darkness into light that we are light. We now are not like light, or we are, are light-giving, but we are light. And here he says, anything that becomes visible is light. I think these two are connected. Then we see that Paul goes on to say, therefore, so, so he, he draws this being light to this statement that comes uh, from, could, could be a possible amalgamation of, of some Old Testament passages, but really 
the commentators are, are very honest when they say no one really knows where this statement comes from. But we know it's inspired scripture because it's here. Okay, so let's remember that. He says, therefore, it says, because whatever becomes visible is light. And he says, therefore, it says, because of this, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It sounds a lot like Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, doesn't it? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I think what Paul here is, is talking about is, is spiritual sleepers, spiritually dead people. Sleepers here are spiritually dead people. And he is saying that, that we tell them to wake up and arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. And when they do wake up and they arise from the dead, Christ shines in them and through them, they also become light. I hope you can follow that. Go back and look at that again. I'm going to try to unpack it. I'm going to try to give a, a logical explanation here in just a minute. But here's what I want us to remember about this. One thing is this. How do we talk to spiritually dead people? We plead with them. We pray for them. We talk to them. We share the gospel with them. We say, awake, awake, O sleeper. Arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We don't just say, well, it's up to God sovereignly to do what he's going to do, and we'll leave them alone. No, we're involved in that process of saying, wake up, wake up, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Here's an example of this. Jesus is talking to Paul in Acts 26, 17 through 18. And he says, uh, starting with verse 17, delivering you from your people, Jesus is talking to Paul, and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. So Jesus says, I am sending you to the Gentiles. Why? To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You hear him, Jesus saying, Paul, I'm sending you to do something. Yes, I'm the sovereign God of the universe. Yes, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the gospel, I'm going to wake these people up. But guess what? You've got a work to do. I am sending you specifically, a specific person, Paul, to do what? To open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's our job now as children of light to go to those who are still in darkness, to go to those who are spiritually dead, to those who, to, to go to those who are spiritually asleep and say, wake up, wake up, open your eyes. Let me show you this. Let me show you the gospel. Let me tell you the gospel. Let me plead with you to come to Christ so that you too may be saved and become a child of light. So let me try to, in, 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 in six statements, help us think logically through this passage, okay? Paul's logical pro progression. All right, so number one, 
You used to be darkness. Okay, number one, we're, we're, you're tracking with me, right? We're, we're together. <laughs> Let's start there. You used to be darkness. That was how you thought, spoke, and acted. Number two, then by God's grace, he caused you to be born again. You were saved by grace. Number three, now you are a child of light. Now you are a child of light. This is how you think, speak, and act. You walk as light. Number four, as you live out your life, your light shines. It exposes the darkness that is in the, is in the life of those around you who are still in their sin. Number five, their sin becomes visible, manifest, and by the grace of God, they see their need. Number six, you proclaim the gospel, and the same way you woke up, they wake up. The same way you arose from the dead, they arise from the dead. You and they are resurrected by Jesus Christ, the light of the world. That's the progression, I believe, logically of that passage and how it works and how we are to live our lives. When I was working in Wilmington at a school there, uh, Linda and I was working, Linda was working there as well at the time as, as a resource specialist. We had a good friend there who was uh, our school psychologist. And he, uh, he was living a homosexual lifestyle. And we were good friends. I would go to his office, we would talk. He would come to my office, we would talk. We obviously worked together. Uh, we had invited him to our house for dinner. He had invited us to our, his house for dinner. We'd gone out to some really cool Thai restaurant that he knew about. We invited him to church. And he came to our church. And I just, and Linda just lived our lives before him as believers, as Christians, as a faithful husband and wife. He just saw us live and how we worked. And we just kept living that way. He went off to jury duty. And we expected he would be gone for a while. And I got a call from him while he was on jury duty at my school. And he said, with a very weak voice, Kevin, can you pray for me? And I said, aren't, aren't you on jury duty? And he says, no, I'm, I'm in the hospital. I went on jury duty, and I got very ill, and now I'm in the hospital. Can you pray for me? I said, of course I'll pray for you. And I, I prayed for him there on the phone. And I found out what hospital he was in, and that afternoon as I left school, I went to the hospital to visit him. He was succumbing to his lifestyle. He was succumbing to, to uh, the choices he had made in his life. He was very, very ill. The next day, he was moved from his regular room to ICU. I went to my principal and was telling my principal how he was doing, who was not a believer. And I said, I don't know if they're going to let me in because I'm not his family. And my principal, my unbelieving principal said, you're his pastor. You go and see him. And so I went to ICU, and they said, who are you? And I said, I'm his pastor. I'm here to see him. And I came in, 
a couple of days, over, over a couple of days to visit him in ICU, to read the word with him, bring my Bible, read scripture to him. And with the last times I went to see him, he now had a tube in his mouth and nose and all that stuff. You've been there before probably. He could blink and listen and nod. And I said, Perry, I wasn't going to say his name, but my friend, I'm praying for God to heal you, but I don't know if he's going to. But I need to ask you this, because he'd been to church with us. He had heard the gospel. I said, do you believe? Do you believe in God? And he nodded and blinked and affirmed. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? He nodded. Are you repenting of all your sin? Are you repenting of your sin? You need to repent. He nodded. He blinked. I said, Perry, I don't know if I will see you again. But I love you and I care for you. And my great hope is that I will see you in glory. And he nodded. And I kissed him on the forehead. And I walked out of there and he passed later that night. That's the progression that I'm speaking of. My friend is much acquainted in many ways comparable to the thief on the cross. My great hope is that he is in glory as he came to faith literally on his deathbed. That is my great hope. But for each of us, we must live our lives in such a way because we were darkness. I'm my friend. You're my friend. We were darkness. And because God has shined his light into our hearts and through the power of the gospel because of friends who loved us, we came to faith. And now we walk as children of light, exposing others' darkness not to say, ha ha, look at you, look how dark you are, but to help them see, I want what you have. I want a marriage like your marriage. I want children like your children. I want the joy that you have. You've got something. What is it? And we can say, it's, it's light. It's light. It's light. And guess what? I can make this connection, I think, because guess what? Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light it is both light visible beautiful and glorious and it is light it is light so brothers and sisters let's just finish by looking at our passage one more time and then we pray look at our passage one more time For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Instead, expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says... Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you.
Father, we thank you for your word today, and there are some difficult parts in this passage that we are completely honest about today. Lord, we thank you, though, that you've made it clear to us who we used to be. I'm, I'm speaking to a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of has-beens, people who used to be darkness, but now they are light in the Lord. Lord, I pray for all of us that you will help us as we walk as children of light. Help us to let our light shine so that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.